Well, on that note, uh, my name is Michael. Sorry, Paul. Um, I'm one of the pastors in this church. I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we'll get into two seminars. Not that, sorry, we've been praying. Um, <clears throat> Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for tonight. Thank you again for coming together to get us your people. We just pray that like, you help us to understand uh, more about David and Mephibosheth, about their story, and about the grace that David has shown Mephibosheth. Yes, that's we pray. Amen. Um, I went to a school called the Janani High School. Uh, it's in the Shire. Um, yeah, and that's where I met my best friend. Um, his mom passed away from cancer when he was in year nine, and his life totally changed. His schoolwork went downhill. He started skipping school, and he got drunk a lot, and he was caught bringing alcohol to school, got into fights, and he got suspended a lot as a result. Things didn't get better. Um, and things got a lot worse. And halfway through year 11, he was asked to leave as his schoolwork was so far behind and was suspended so often. His life was in disarray. He took the next few months off. He started working as he continued to grieve over his mom's death. Towards the end of the year, he started to get his life together and he realized he wanted to go back to school. He asked our principal, Mr. Elliot, if he could return. Now, Mr. Elliot was a big guy. Um, he was in, probably in his late 50s, early 60s. Big and scary, a uh, very tough guy. And Mr. Elliot had every reason to, tell, to say to my friend to tell him no. After all, my friend gave him so much grief, and not to mention he was out of area. But Mr. Elliot said this to him. He said, this is your second chance, and second chance doesn't come by very often. You come back to school next year, repeating year 11, and you start with a clean slate. I expect you to work hard, and I want to shake the hand of a real man two years from now at your year 12 graduation. Friends, this is grace. This is grace. And this is what we'll be focusing on tonight in 2 Samuel 9, about David and Mephibosheth. But just before we start to finish my story, my friend did finish year 12, and our principal, Mr. Elliot, did end up shaking his hand at our year 12 graduation. Uh, just to recap where our story on David is up to, by now David has become king. Um, David had his own capital in Jerusalem. His enemies were all but destroyed with God's help. And David was secure in his throne. It was a time of prosperity and a time of safety for David. But last but not the least, God has also made a covenant with David, promising that one of his descendants would always be king. It was during this time that David remembered a promise or a covenant he made with Jonathan nearly 25 years ago. As you can see on the screen, the yellow arrow is when he promised, made that promise with Jonathan and Saul, and the blue arrow, arrow is where we are today. Have a look at verse 1 with me uh, on 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. It's good to have that open in front of you too. Um, so 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David asks, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? David wanted to show kindness to those who were left in the house of Saul for the sake of Jonathan. Now remember, Jonathan and David, they were best friends. And Jonathan was the son of King Saul. When David was fleeing from Saul, not long after he defeated Goliath, 
and was showing how courageous he was under God, and Saul grew very jealous with David. As a result, he was trying to kill him relentlessly. Saul's son, Jonathan, protected David, and he asked David to promise him that he would show kindness to his family in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 14 to 16 on the screen. It says, But show me kindness, like the Lord's kindness as long as I live, so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness for my family, not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David. Now, a lot will happen in 25 years. Think about your life 25 years ago, or if you haven't been born yet at that time, think about 25 years later. Would you remember a promise you made 25 years ago? Think about it. 25 years ago was the year 1992. Where were you in 1992? 25 years later will be year 2042. Where do you think you'll be in 2042? If you make a promise today, would you remember it 25 years later in June 2042? Truth is, how many promises do we remember? Let alone keep. We make a lot of promises. Signing a contract, for example, with our employment contract, buying a car, buying a house, renting a house, applying for a credit card, applying for a loan with our spouse, with our kids, our parents, our friends. How many of those promises do we keep? Probably some of the most broken promises are political ones. We have core and non-core promises. See, David shows us his loyalty towards his friends and how serious he takes a promise, even those he made 25 years ago. David also made a similar promise to Saul later in 1 Samuel 24, as you saw on the screen. <clears throat> Saul said, I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hand. In your hand. Now swear to me by the Lord, that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And so David gave his oath to Saul. It was that 25 years later, David called Ziba. Ziba was a servant from Saul's household. And David's question in verse 3 is quite intriguing. Have you with me? The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul? to whom I can show God's kindness. What was David expecting? He was expecting that no one would still be alive in the house of Saul. Same as verse 1, he said, is there anyone still left? David thought they would all be wiped out. But Ziba said there was still one left. In verse 3, continue on. There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. That is a remarkable answer to David's question. Now, do you notice what has Ziba included and omitted? There is still a son of Jonathan and his lame in both feet. Usually, when we were telling someone about another person, we mention them by name. Instead of mentioning Mephibosheth by name, Ziba only mentioned who his father was, 
um, and his disability, that he's lame in both feet. Maybe those are the only things that Mephibosheth, about Mephibosheth, that Zeba thought worth mentioning, rather than his name. It tells us a lot the way that Zeba saw Mephibosheth. Zeba then told David that Mephibosheth is at the house of Micaiah, son of Emel, in Nodabar. Now, we don't know much about Micaiah, son of Emel, except to say that Micaiah was a very generous man in providing shelter for Mephibosheth. Why is that? Because Mephibosheth was probably the least of the least in the society. Not only was he crippled, he was also a grandson of a disposed king. Mephibosheth, who have no standing in society, not just literally, he really had no standing in society. He had no influence and no power. He was a political refugee. He would stay in a place called Nodabar. It means no pasture, a place that is far away from Jerusalem. You've seen the screen, um, at the bottom circle is where Jerusalem is, and the one above that is where Nodabar is. It's a place that is deep in the Jordan Valley, and its location suggests that Mephibosheth was hiding from the new king. He was hiding from King David. It's like today, Siberia, or in a local context, in Birdsville, a place that is far, far away from actions. It was a place that is out of sight and out of mind. Let's have a look how their first meeting went between David and Mephibosheth in verses 6 to 7. When Mephibosheth met David, he bowed down to pay him honor. Now, David, um, Mephibosheth, we've done it maybe out of respect, but also out of fear. As David alluded in verse 7, don't be afraid. And Mephibosheth had every reason to be fearful. A newly installed king will often wipe out the house of the old king that include the family members, the supporters, advisors, their allies, everything. Um, in 2 Kings 10, we saw how King Jehu wiped out the house of Ahab. And King David will probably do the same, pretty much um, the same thing to those who belong to Saul in 2 Samuel chapter 2 to 4. In fact, it was that that caused Mephibosheth his disability. Have a look at 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, we on the screen. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled. But as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. We're usually very careful when we're handling a child especially if it's someone else's. We carry them with utmost care. But here, survival instinct kicks in. Mephibosheth's nurse, her only concern was the survival of Mephibosheth. Everything else was secondary. And so as they fled, she dropped him, and he had been disabled ever since. Now, going back to the promise that David made to Jonathan, what did David need to do to fulfill his promise? What is the minimum requirement that David had to do to fulfill his promise? It is really to fulfill that, he only had to live, have to let Mephibosheth live. 
But verse 7 shows us how David went beyond that. The first one is, he restored Mephibosheth to all the land that belonged, belonged to Saul. And secondly, Mephibosheth would always eat at the king's table. David went far beyond what he promised to Jonathan and Saul, and it came with great risk for him. Now Saul owned a fair bit of land, and giving Mephibosheth those land, risking staging a coup and overthrowing David. Now granted he was crippled, but remember Ziba has sons and servants. David also commanded Ziba to continue to serve Mephibosheth and so to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that we provided for. The bakers of Ordo was allowing Mephibosheth to always eat at his table. Only the closest of the king's family are allowed to eat at his table. It's a big deal. So in David's case, maybe only his wife and his sons, no one else. So we can see how Mephibosheth went from the lowest in the society to one of the highest, to be like one of David's sons. Now, Mephibosheth was very humble in his response. Like Stuart last week told us, I'll show us how people in the Bible responded to God's grace. Mephibosheth says something similar in verse 8, where he says, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Now, this is not Mephibosheth being a humble Aussie, putting himself down while having a laugh. Us Australians are very humble. I think at times we can be too humble. Maybe we're afraid of the top poppy syndrome. We don't often want to take credit for things. Or when we do, we're very humble about it. We might be good at something, but publicly we will only say we're all right at it. This is not what Mephibosheth is doing here. He's not having a laugh at himself. Rather, he is genuinely humbled and surprised by the grace that David has shown him. Mephibosheth was the least in the society. He was disabled. He was the grandson of a disposed king, living in a place far, far away in exile. He had everything against him. Yet David showed him grace and mercy. He showed Mephibosheth grace and mercy for the sake of a promise he made to both Jonathan and Saul all these years ago. Grace is undeserved kindness. David not only let Mephibosheth live, but he restored land to Mephibosheth and allowing him to eat at his table, elevating his status to that one of his sons. He went from the lowest to the highest. David went far beyond than what he was required to do. Now, we know that David continued to look after Mephibosheth and his family, so he didn't just look after him for a, a day, a month, a year. He continued to look after him. They, uh, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, but 1 Chronicles 9 tells us Micah had more descendants. So we see how David looked after Mephibosheth and his family for the rest of his life. So we see how David showed undeserved grace and kindness to Mephibosheth. And in many ways, we are like Mephibosheth. We are the cripple, and we are the least in the world. Now, we may not be crippled physically, and we may not be the least in our social standing, or our wealth, our education, etc. But in God's eyes, we are most certainly crippled. 
Have a look with me on Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 on the screen. It says that, As for you, you were dead in your transgression and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. We were by nature deserving of wrath. See, the Bible describes us as dead in our sin. We are spiritually dead. We are dead in God's eyes. Sin is our rebellious against God. We are helpless in our sinful state. We are totally crippled in our sin. We are slaves to sin. What it means is we give into our sinful desire. That's meaning selfish. We lie. We deceive. Greed. Sexual immorality. Violence. Drug. Alcohol. Substance abuse. Putting other things above God or being indifferent towards God. That is the world around us, isn't it? Now, we all sin in our own way. We all struggle with sin in our own way. We have different sins that we struggle with. But the thing is, we have, we, are, we have all sinned. We have all rebelled against God. Even if we want to save ourselves, we can't. Because we will just give into our sinful desire again and again and again. And because of this, we deserve God's wrath and judgment. God takes our sin seriously because God is holy and He's just. God and sin are incompatible. God cannot stand sin and God cannot accept anyone who has sinned. Those who have sinned are the least in God's eyes. God has a perfectly good reason to ignore us, to walk away from us. Yet God didn't forget us. God didn't ignore us. And God didn't give up on us. Because there is grace and restoration. Like David made a promise to Jonathan, God has also made a promise for us and with us in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. Out of love, out of God's great love for us, God showed us grace and mercy. God is rich in mercy. He's shown us exceptional kindness and grace. God makes us alive with Christ. Jesus came to die to take our sin away. Just as David made a covenant with Jonathan and Saul, God made a covenant with us in Jeremiah chapter 31. This is the covenant I will make with my people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. God made this covenant about 700 years before Jesus was born. Like David, God is a promise keeper. He made a covenant with us who are the cripple and the least in his eyes. But Jesus came to fulfill that covenant out of grace, of God's grace. We didn't do anything to deserve God's kindness, just as Mephibosheth didn't do anything to deserve David's kindness. Yet God, in his grace and mercy, saved us. Have a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 with me. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Tell us that it is by grace that we are saved through faith. Our salvation is through faith alone by God's grace. It is a gift. It is a present, a present that came with no string attached. Unlike that one, I'm going to bow it up. But it is a present, it is a gift from God that came with no string attached. Now, what do we do when somebody gives us a gift? How do we accept it? What do we say? Ryan, what do we say? We say thank you. We say thank you to accept the gift. In the same way, God wants us to say thank you to Him and accept His gift of salvation. Now, back to our story of Mephibosheth. Like Mephibosheth, he was elevated to the king's table to be able to eat like one of David's sons, like a prince. God has also elevated us to his table in verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus' death on the cross, three things are achieved. Number one, we are made alive in Christ. We're not crippled or trapped in our sin anymore. Instead of being spiritually dead, we are alive. Jesus came to take our sin away so that we can have eternal life with God. Number two, we are raised up with Christ. We share Jesus' victory on the cross. We are given the power to live as God's people now with the Holy Spirit. And number three, we are now seated in the heavenly realms. We are now seated in the heavenly realms. We are no longer the least in God's eyes. In fact, we have been elevated to the heavenly realms with Christ. Our eternal life is now certain because now we're united with Christ in his victory. David, seated Mephibosheth, with his sons at the table, at his table, but God has seated us with his son Jesus at his table. We went from the lowest to the highest out of God's grace. So this is only possible because of God's grace and mercy for us while we're still crippling our sin. This is God's undeserving kindness for us. We have done nothing to deserve this. Just as David showed grace and compassion to Mephibosheth, God showed us grace and compassion in Jesus. One of the values for our church on the other side is they live a new life for Jesus. The third one, as you can say, is um, faithful, adventurous, and compassionate. One of the values for our church is compassionate. We are called to live Jesus' call to love. Of the two most important commandments, one is to love God, the other is to love our neighbor as yourself. Neighbor here means more than just the people living next to you. It means those we share our suburb with, with our city, our country, and our world. Who is the listener society? How can we look after the poor, the homeless, the orphans, the single parents' family, the newly arrived migrants, those who live in a country that is far less fortunate than us? Some of you may already be doing this already. You may be already looking after the listener society 
and living out a compassionate value. But some of you might be wondering, but I don't know anyone who is the listener society. I don't know where to start. One thing I would suggest is to start praying. Start praying. And the other one is, you can take a 316441 card with you. Um, the card is at the back of, our, of the table as you come in. And on the card, it's asked you to pray, for four, to pray for four people. Pray for a family member. Pray for a friend, your neighbor. Also pray for someone that you have yet to meet. Pray that ask God that he will connect you with someone who is in need of help. Once you have connected with that person, then start caring for them, share a meal with them, getting to know them. Pray that you'll be able to be a blessing in their life. And then pray that you can communicate the message of new life with them. And that is the ultimate way to show love. Nothing better than sharing the way to eternal life with those around us so that they too get to hear the message of new life in Jesus. As a church, we support the Ministry of Compassion and IJM, which stands for International Justice Mission. We sponsor two children with compassion, one in the Philippines and one in Tanzania. Or maybe you can sponsor a child of your own too if you haven't done it already. And IJM seeks to stop the global slave trade and rescue those who are still in slavery. Pray for their work and support them. Because together, as a church, we can show God's grace to those around us. We saw today how David showed grace and compassion to Mephibosheth, even though he did nothing to deserve this. In the same way, God showed us grace and compassion to us, even though we did nothing to deserve it. And God wants us to show the same grace and kindness to the people around us so that they too will get to know, know God, get to know the message of new life. Let me pray and ask God to help us to do that. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a promise keeper like David. We thank you that you have shown us grace and mercy just as David did to Mephibosheth. We thank you for Jesus. Through his death on the cross, our sins are taken away and that we may have eternal life with you in the heavenly realms. Please help us to say yes to your undeserving grace and help us to show the same kindness and grace to the people in our world. Please help us to be compassionate Christians. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.